0: Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. Sermons that are for the church. And sometimes tonight is for the church, but it's going to be preached to a church. Y'all still with me here? Sometimes it's preached to the church. I could preach it to every single church in the world today. That's that kind of a sermon, but you get it. So if you, if you understand the context behind it, you'll probably understand what some of the things that, um, that we'll talk about tonight. So this is a sermon to the church. Revelation chapter 3, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis. Sardis, right. These things says, he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcomes, the shame shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, thank you again for the privilege of coming to your house. Thank you for, again, the privilege of of listening to the Word of God. Thank you for the privilege of gathering with the greatest people, and that's God's people. And tonight we want to do one thing and that is to honor you in all that we do. So I pray, get our hearts ready to receive the word tonight. Help me to preach, God, beyond my ability, beyond my years. And, God, more than anything, help us to make a decision in response to your word. And I love you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. If I can do give you some greek tonight because as we read through this there's some terms that you got to understand to really get kind of get what is being spoken about. We're talking about the seven churches of Asia. It's in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3. And I believe this, it's put there because every single church at some point in their existence is one of those seven churches. You can find out where a church is by, by reading Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, and every church is at a particular place of one of those seven churches. Now this one is the church of Sardis. Sardis, we'll talk about some of the backstory of it first, but if you look, look there first, he says he's talking to the angel of the church of Sardis. Now, that angel is not necessarily an angelic being like we would think of when we say the word angel. The Greek word is angelos. It means one sent on a special mission or one given for an assignment. It speaks of a pastor. So, so the, the chur- seven churches is seven that has been spoken to to seven different pastors of those particular churches. I like that he uses the word angel to describe a pastor, which means that your pastor is an angel. Your pastor is an angel. I'm just reading what the book says, y'all. You just take that up with the Lord. I just read what the Lord said. But he's talking to a particular pastor, and he's speaking to the church of Sardis. The church being, the word being ecclesia is the Greek word. It's the called out ones. It's ones that are not called to fit in, but there's ones that are called out. That's what the word means. So you and I are not designed to fit in, are we? We've been designed, we've been pulled out from the rest of the world and we're going to be a shining example for God in the world that you and I live in. The church is not just a group, a club of people. It's not just a group of, of like-minded individuals. It's people that God has pulled out and he's put as, as a light on a hill so that the world can see and the world can be changed by the church. That's good news for me and you. You and I are not designed to be called out. I believe this. I believe that the decisions that affect the atmosphere of our city and of a community, the church is the one that can change the atmosphere in in the community. The Chamber of Commerce can't change the atmosphere. The banks can't change the atmosphere. The businesses can't change the atmosphere. Even the families can't change the atmosphere. But what will change the way a community lives and the way a community breathes is when the church of Jesus Christ rises up and is who they've been called to be, and that's the called out ones. This particular church was very wealthy. Let me give you some kind of some some backstory. It was at this particular time, there was a king named King Croesus. And legend says he was the wealthiest man on the planet, and he was king in Sardis. His wealth came from the Pactolus River, and so Sardis was a very wealthy city. Upstream was a, a city called Ephesus, and there was a king there named King Midas. And it's believed in mythology that he asked the gods for wealth. And so everything that he touched turned into gold. He touched an apple, turned into gold. He touched a towel, it turned into gold. He touched his daughter, and she turned into gold. And that's when he went back to the gods. And he said this, he said, could you take this blessing away from me? Because it's turned out to be a curse. Ever heard of the Midas touch? It's where it comes from. So the gods asked him to go wash in the river, and when he washed in the river, it washed the gold ability to produce gold from him. And it went downstream, and all the gold went downstream. And guess where it was landed? It landed in Sardis. Now, that's not how it happened, but there was more gold mined in that particular part of uh, in, in Sardis than anywhere else in that particular part of the world. And that's where King Croesus got his wealth and so much gold. It's the first place in history where gold was minted as coins in Sardis. So they were very wealthy, Sardis. But they were also very smug. They were very arrogant and they were very prideful. They built their fortresses on the rocks and they were so proud of who they'd become. And that was part of their demise because they had built their, rocks, their, their fortress on the rocks and it was at a place where nobody could get to it. And so they became proud and arrogant and, and the story goes that there was a crack in the rocks and they thought that they were impenetrable but the crack in the rocks allowed the enemy to come in and overtake Sardis so Sardis Church had taken the exact same attitude. We're proud. We're arrogant. We live in a very opulent place, a very opulent world. And it says this about them. It says you have a name that's well-liked. Many people knew who they were. There was a great move of God that had taken place there. And if you ever want to know the sign of a church that's in trouble, Sardis is this church. So it's the troubled church is what we'll call it. And not only was it in trouble because it was so opulent, because it lived in such a great, wonderful place. But because the church had begun to grab hold and be part, be part of all that opulence, and they forgot what got them to where they were. It says this, that the men of Sardis became soft. They became effeminate. They behaved like women. There was widespread homosexuality in Sardis. The people had begin to become so soft and things that they'd not become hard workers anymore. And so the Bible says that the church began to take on that particular power aura, and they needed wisdom, they needed counsel, they needed godliness, and God's calling them back, Jesus is calling them back to where they used to be. And he says this, he says, he says, I'm the one that has the seven spirits in my hand. Do you know what had happened? The church was losing the Holy Spirit. The church was losing the power of God that had made them what they had, who they had become. It was well known what, who they were. It was well known the gospel message that had been preached there. A great church had come, but they'd become soft. They become uncaring about the things of God, became uncaring about the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden he began to leave, and Jesus said, look, I got the seven spirits in my hand. I got the seven spirits of God in my hand. Ask me for them, and I'll give them back to you. If there's anything the church in the world today needs, the church in the United States of America needs, it is the power and the person and the presence of the Holy Ghost active and alive in our churches today. In the assemblies of God, if there's anything that's necessary and needed, it's the power of the Holy Spirit moving among our pastors, moving moving among our districts, moving among our people. And nothing can take the place for that. But the the trick is that sometimes blessing and sometimes when God answers prayer, sometimes it causes the Holy Spirit to leave because we get too comfortable and we become too dependent upon our, our blessing instead of the blesser. They were losing it, and Jesus was trying to bring it back to them. Oh, Brother Carry, I know you're talking about that jumping and shouting stuff like we used to do. You're talking about all that, that running in the aisles and hooping and hollering and all that. I'm really not necessarily talking about that. But I talk about where we stop making excuses when he does do that. and Trying to talk about the Holy Spirit as if he's something to be putting in a classroom back in the back or he's something for a theology class somewhere in Bible college. The Holy Spirit's place is right here in the middle among God's people moving and operate among us. He's not somebody to be put somewhere else and something to talk to, talked away. He's somebody that's to be loved and adored and to move among his people. Story of a pastor, a young lady, old lady came up to him one time. She didn't believe in all the Holy Spirit stuff and all that. She said, well, you know what, preacher? She said, I can tell you this. I've read the Bible. And Jesus never shouted. He never jumped. He never yelled. He never bucked. He never snorted. And he never ran. The pastor said, yep, you're, I've read the same Bible. You're right. Jesus didn't. He never jumped, yelled, shouted, bucked, snorted, and ran. But every person he touched did. Every person that Jesus touched, something happened to them. And my friend, listen to me. Don't ever give anything in your church, anything in your life. but Don't ever take anything in place of the Holy Spirit. Put him right out here in the front. Ask him to move. Ask him to touch. Ask him to operate. Ask him to use his gifts. Ask him to be a part of the service. Don't ever tell him, push him out somewhere else. Because the thing is, is Jesus is calling from Sardis. He says, look, I'm calling you back to the Holy Spirit. I've got all seven spirits of God. Don't, don't, do, live, don't have church without him. So I think he's saying the same thing today. He tells him this. He says, I know your works. He says, I know your works. He says that Greek word is oida. It means to see, to perceive, to comprehend by personal experience or observation. So Jesus had personally seen what was happening in the church. He didn't send a messenger to bring a message back to what was going on in there. He didn't send an angel to go down there to find out what was happening and come back to report to him. But he personally knew what was going on in church personal observation I wonder if Jesus has a personal observation of the church in America today I wonder if he walks among the churches and knows exactly what's happening today I wonder if he walks among Bethel and knows exactly what's happening today I believe this in our churches today if people had got a hold the fact that Jesus knows exactly what's happening in church they wouldn't act so crazy when they come to church he says this he says I know and matter of fact, if you go through, you can read it. In every one of the seven churches, he says the same thing I know. So Jesus is well acquainted with what's happening in our church, and he's well acquainted with what's happening in the church in the world today. I know Thy works, that thou hast a name, that you live and are dead. That word live, a Greek word again, means to be alive, be full of vigor, and full of vitality. He says, I know that you have a name that you live, yet you are dead. They had a great reputation. Of being a great church years ago. They were living off the stories of what happened years back. The gospel message was preached there, was powerful, and now they're just a shell of the church that they used to be. And they've lived on the memories of yesteryear for many, many, many days. And Jesus says this, now you're dead. You're, you're a cadaver. You're a corpse. There's no life left in you. Your body is just disconnected to life. In other words, you're a stiff I don't know about you, but that's just pretty telling language right there. They think they're something, but they're really nothing. When we, will will say the name of the church, but one of the churches we pastored, not here, <laughs> is um, we when we went to, we had come from churches that were very alive churches, very spirit-filled churches, churches where people came to the altar and people on a regular basis were touched by God, baptized in the Holy Spirit, saved. There was always testimonies of somebody being touched by God or God moving and healing and Just a very active, healthy churches. And then the church we went to, we kind of expected the same type of atmosphere, but there wasn't. And people just really would not come to the altar. There was not a liberty because where the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's a liberty. There was no liberty there. And the thing that we couldn't understand is everybody kept standing up saying, this is such a great church. This is such a wonderful church. And I kept saying, now I didn't say it out loud, but I kept saying, no, it's not. We we got work to do. We we got things we got to get done. We 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 got to reach people in our community. We got to get this, we got to have people coming back to pray in the altars again. And, and I don't mean to be unkind, but I understand what Jesus was saying. He says, "You say you're alive, but you're really dead." Now, if you ask them, they would say, "Look, years back, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, the church was packed. We had 35 teens coming every single week. We bust kids in 35 years ago." Oh, we'd have altar services. We, the preacher wouldn't even preach. We That was the good service. When the preacher didn't even preach, we'd just come and have church. But that was years back, and what's happened is it turned into a Sardis church. It's turned into a church that's living on yesterday's blessings and forgetting that God wants to move today. Are you still with me? Let me give you some signs that a church is in trouble. A church is in trouble, first of all, when it lives on its memories and not on its present. A church is in trouble when it no longer reaches unsaved people. When there's just not a heartbeat for somebody to come to know Jesus. When the baptismal tank hasn't been used in years. I tell you, it's a sign a church is in trouble. When it's stagnant in its growth, people are not growing in their faith in Jesus. A church is in trouble when it curtails its missions giving. When it no longer gives to missions, it doesn't see the need to give to missions. They don't have missions conventions. They don't have drives. They don't care about Speed the Light. They're really not concerned about BGMC. They're just really not sure, all, all that concerned about giving to missions. That's why I can't wait for the business meeting. I just can't wait to show you what kind of missions your church gives, the heartbeat for the board has and, and you have for missions. And That's why I love this, this particular business meeting. I love all of them because it just shows the heart that you have to give to people to get the gospel out around the world church is in trouble when it experiences a decrease in spiritual gifts. See, the Holy Spirit's grieved when he's not allowed to move in a church. And so what happens is he removes himself. He's so gracious and kind, and the gifts of the Spirit is evidence of that. Signs of a troubled church is the void of joy and excitement. People don't smile in church. People aren't excited about God. They come to church and they hear about God, but they're just not excited about God. Give me a church where people smile. Hallelujah. Give me a church that's, that's get excited about Jesus. They, you don't have to ask them to work. Even when we sing off key, they still raise their hand and worship God. Even when they feel like it's not their song or not their style, they don't care. It's just the fact that they got to get together and bless in the name of Jesus. It's people that love to come and pray and call upon God because they found out that God answers when they cry out to him. I'm telling you here tonight, there's a joy and excitement, but in the Sardis church, there's nowhere to be found. Hang with me. It's going to get better. It treats the Bible as a resource among other resources. The Bible also is just a book among many books. It's a church that's material blessed, but it's unable to meet the spiritual needs of people. In other words, there's money in the bank, but people are spiritually bankrupt. It loses or forgets its vision. It becomes like a spiritual mannequin. If I got to preach to the Assemblies of God right now, I wish I could just tell them my story. I wish I could tell them where I came from. I came from a liturgical, that's kind of a word, very quiet church background. The Disciples of Christ Church, I love those people. We were a break off of Church of Christ, but what happened is we got an organ, so we became disciples of Christ. And what happened is people were, it was just very quiet, very liturgical, and then I came into an Assemblies of God church, a Pentecostal church. It's okay, buddy, I can talk louder than you. And all of a sudden, my world lit up. I walked into church, and people were raising their hands during worship. I walked into church, and people were praying out loud. I couldn't even even hear myself pray because everybody was praying so loud. I watched people come to the altar when there was a desire, somebody had a need. I watched people just be, be touched by God. I heard people give testimonies about God touching them, healing their bodies. I heard testimonies of, of people, uh, miracles taking place, and God moving mighty, and people liked coming to church. And people would, would, would fill the church up because they just, they just knew when they got there, God was going to do something. And this disciples of Christ slash Church of Christ boy got excited about God, got excited about the Holy Spirit. And I hate the fact that there's only one-third of the people in the Assemblies of God that are baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. That means in a Pentecostal organization, two-thirds of the people don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit, and that bothers me. Because that bothers me. Are we headed towards a Sardis church? We used to be the church on the other side of the tracks, the little one-room shack, with the slat pews and the stove, the the heat stove. And all of a sudden, we were so desperate for God and hungry for God that we prayed and cried out to God and asked God to bless us, and he did. And we grew, and we moved to the other side of the tracks. We pulled out of the city and moved into the suburbs, and we got big, 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 beautiful buildings, and we got nice, beautiful vans, and we became so so uh, opulent. We, We became so blessed. And my prayer is that we don't become so blessed that we stop depending on him and start depending upon us. It's the Sardis church. And Jesus says these words in no uncertain terms. He says, fight against that. With everything on the inside of you, fight against that. Don't look back to the past and say those were the days. Look look ahead and say our best days are ahead of us. The greatest move of God is through the windshield and not the rearview mirror. Fight the human nature that wants to live on yesterday's fish and not live on today's manna. Fight against that, Bethel. Fight against that, the assemblies of God. Fight against that, church. God's blessed us so much we could never count all the blessings, but fight against that desire to stay close and to hold on to the blessings and not hold on to the blesser. Don't stop Be hungry for the move of God. Don't stop when God wakes you up in the middle of the night getting out of your bed and going praying like we did on the other side of the tracks. Don't stop giving to missionaries because you have that desire, that passion to see God win the world for his kingdom. Don't stop that fight against the desire to just lay back and coast to heaven. I understand why Jesus was so passionate. He, he knew what they could become. He'd seen what they'd become, and he's, he's trying to stir them again. Now, here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Whenever he gives a problem, if you just keep on reading, he gives the solution to the problem. Let me say that again. The wonderful thing about Jesus is, is when he brings a problem to light, he always shows us what the solution to the problem is. So go back to your text, and he begins to see, to show us exactly what the solution to the problem is. He says, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. He says, be watchful. Now, here you go, here's your Greek lesson. It means to be on your guard, to be awake. To start where you are, to be on high alert, to be ready to self-correct, to take action. So basically what he's telling them is he said, hey, look, you can change right where you are. Start right here where you are. Isn't that true? Anything, anything you ever want to change? I mean, if you want to start like on a diet or doing diet or do, get your finance in order, if you want to um, start exercising or something, don't you just start right where you are. How practical is that? I mean, look, Just you don't have to go and wait. There's a lady one time, I was talking about she wanted to uh, start exercising. And she said this, she, and she said, I'm going to find me the best trainer in town. And so, you know, time went on and she was, you know, kept saying, are, are you going to exercise? And she said, well, I'm just waiting to find the best trainer in, t- in town. And the thing is, is, is somebody needed to get behind that woman. She didn't need the best trainer in town. She just needed somebody to get behind her and say, run, do something. Right where you are, begin to move. And Jesus is saying the exact same thing to the church of Sardis. Run! Right where you are, start. Turn things around right where you are. Be watchful. He's telling the church to make those changes. Got to start. Everybody's got to start somewhere. And he says, strengthen what remains. It's a picture of a stake used to hold up and direct a vine upwards. It's like a column that adds up a roof of the house. It means to bolster and to uphold. So he's telling this, he's like, do what you got to do to grow spiritually and you'll begin to change your problem. So what does that mean for the church today? It means just go back to those things we used to do. We used to get together. Today, unfortunately, what you're doing right now is kind of on the way out among some of many of our churches. We don't have Sunday night church. We have a Sunday morning service. Sunday school is kind of on the way out. Our district officials tell us that it's really kind of a pandemic because they have students coming to Bible college and they just don't even know the Bible stories that are in the Word of God. Start right where you are. God, help us to grow spiritually. And then he says this. He says, do it quickly. And I think the thing is, is you have to understand that Jesus knew that the, the, the state that they were in. And he was telling them, look, you, you got to do it. Well, I know not just casually. Usually we just kind of ease into it. Just kind of ease into it. Just kind of ease. In. And here's the thing Jesus is saying, do it now. He's saying, Run. So what can we do now? I pray, God, help us to find a way to get back to what we used to do and to do it quickly, to do it right now. I'm talking about in just a minute, when we open our altars up, would you come and pray and ask God to do today what he did back then? Will you ask God? They used to call us and make fun of us. They called us holy rollers. There's a reason why they called us that. Because the Spirit of God moved upon us, and they couldn't think of anything to say, so they tried to poke fun at us. But they couldn't deny the moving of God that took place in our churches. God take us back there tonight where there's a group of people that want a move of God today just like he did it back then and they'll start talking about us out there because they can't deny what God's doing on the inside of here God do that in every single church God do that in every single body of believers whether they're meeting in a house meeting in the most best buildings in all of town God create a group of people that are hungry for God to move and they do the little things that they used to do back then he said I found your works Greek word is a discovery that was made of a scholarly sort. Discovery made as a result of careful observance. Jesus analyzed and scientifically studied and found their works were not perfect before God. Now understand this. They were perfect before God because of the blood of Jesus. But their works were not perfect before God. Let me just ask you this, a couple of personal questions. Have you completed what Jesus has asked you to do? Has your church lived up to the vision God assigned to it? Have you maintained your spiritual life? Have you reached maturity on what, what that Jesus expected of you? These are hard questions to ask. And probably I couldn't tell this to every group of people, but I knew you could handle it because I knew you're hungry for God to move. I know you're hungry to not be to avoid the Sardis church. I know you're hungry for God to come back and be reminded that there's a group of people that still want the Spirit of God to be in their services. He tells them to remember. He tells them to hold fast. Verse 3, he says, Remember, therefore how thou hast deceived, has received and heard, and held fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. He asked them to repent. In other words, just to turn around, to change. We talked about that. He asked them to kind of head and go from in that direction, but turn around and go in the other direction. See, so that means, what does that mean? That means that he said, "You better. I want you to do it sooner rather than later. I want you to repent, change your ways, seek after me, don't become so dependent upon the blessings that God's given. Sometimes I, I don't know if, I, if it's the right thing to pray, but sometimes I pray, God, don't let us get too blessed. I mean, because you're a blessed people. I just say this speak, y'all are a blessed people. I've watched you for years that God's blessed your families and blessed you, your spiritual, blessed our church, blessed your homes. But sometimes I'm afraid that if we get too blessed, that we'll begin to trust in the blessing and not, not trust in God. And Jesus is warning us that. He says, he says, today is the day to do it. Today is the day to seek God. Today is the day to grab the hold of the Holy Ghost. Today is the day to do things that you used to do. Today is the day to remember how the services used to be. Today is the day to pray as if he's coming today. Today is the day to live upright before God. He says, he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Can you imagine? Let me read that to you again. He says, to he that overcomes, to he that resists the tendency, to him, He says, I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. So that picture to me is like the picture when we get to heaven. Now, I don't know what you think of when you get to heaven, but I kind of think like it's gonna be like an arena type atmosphere where there's so many people everywhere you look. It just and then there's there's like a stage in the middle where where of course God and Jesus sit, and there's an arena all around it, and just people that beyond that you could ever count, there's so many people. And there's just this worship service. And people are praising God. And, of course, you know, the Bible says there's angels that are joined in there. And then there's these 24 elders that are always falling down before God, worshiping God. And we're singing songs and worshiping God. And I think it's just we're having a time. And I wonder if there's some people that while all that's going on, Father will say, hey, shh, be quiet. There's some people that I need to confess. Or Jesus will stand up and say, hang on just a second, there's some people I need to confess before my Father. These are people that stood against the the tide of of complacency in the church. These are people that wouldn't take anything less but the power of the Holy Spirit in their services. There's a group of people that I need to recognize right now in the midst of all of these people. And he stops, he begins to confess people's name. He says, Bullock, Father, he stood against the tide in in the day he lived. He wouldn't take anything less. I need to confess him before you. He said, Rutledge, I want to tell you that's a bunch right there. They lived in a day that was so opulent. They lived in a place that had more blessings than they could ever count, and yet they stood against that because they just wanted the Holy Ghost. Rose, because they count Rosenbaum, Leanne, Noah, because they call names out before all of eternity, before all of heaven, and stops them because he says, I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. I want to be in that number. I want to be that group of people that he stops all of heaven forward, all of the worship surface of eternity, and begins to call their names out. But it starts right now. Father, I wish I could preach this to all of the church, but I only got to preach it to this church. And if that's the case, God, it's the message that you wanted them to hear tonight. And I pray right now, just as the Bible says, that we'll be watchful. We'll strengthen those things that remain. We'll remember that thou has received and heard, and we'll hold fast, and we'll repent. And we'll be one of those that you'll confess before Father in heaven. But I pray tonight, God, I pray as we just pray together around this time. I pray that they will come. And tonight we'll say, God, thank you for the blessing, but we're not holding hanging our hat on the blessing. God, we need a fresh move of God in the day in which we live. God, we need a move of God. We need to do like you did days ago. We remember, we look back to what happened back then, and we're saying, God, would you do that again today in our students, in our kids, in our older people, in our males and females, God, in our pastors. God, would you do what you did back then again today, and we're not going to take anything less. And so I love you for that, and thank you for that spirit here in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.